0: Let's pray. Lord, as we rehearse the events of the cross, we stand in awe. Awe that Jesus hung on the cross instead of us. Awe that he would die for us. Awe at your matchless love awe at the wonder of eternal life. Lord, tonight, help our minds to comprehend these truths and our hearts to worship in response. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us tonight for the Good Friday service. Tonight, we are observing, we're remembering that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. And and because of that, for a long time I wondered, why do we call this day good? Why do we call this Friday good? It doesn't seem like a good Friday, it seems like a bad Friday. It seems like a grief-filled Friday. And so that's why tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on answering that question, why is today a good Friday? friday and what we're going to see is that it gives us a picture it gives us a promise and then it also gives us a preview so first a picture throughout this evening we've been following the events that led up to the cross and we have to ask as we read the gospels why are all of these details included why all of the mocking? Why all of the crowds shouting out? Why the trial? Why the back and forth and the dialogue? Why are these details included? Why, uh, why the making Simon carry the cross for Jesus? Why are these all included? Well, one, we know that they do provide historical facts, which are important because it means that what happens here is a historical objective fact, which means that what our faith is in is an objective fact. It's not just wishful thinking, but it's something that is true, and it happened in history. But I think there's even another reason for why these details are included, and that's that they give us a picture of our sin. And there are three aspects of our sin that we can see here in the verses from 27 to 44, which are first, their sin makes a mockery of God's claim to be king. The soldiers mock Jesus' claim to be the true king, if you look at verses 28 through 29, it says, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Scarlet was the color of kings in the ancient world, and so they would wear scarlet robes, and they would, uh, when they sat on their throne, and so they, they put this uh, kind of shredded up uh, robe onto Jesus, and they put it on him, and then they twist together a crown of thorns and put that on his head, and then they uh, take a, a, a reed, And they put it in his right hand as if it's a scepter. And then they get down on the ground and they say, Oh, hail you, king of the Jews, hail you. Mocking him as if his entire claim to be a king is an absolute joke. And so why is this included here? Is it just an interesting historical fact that they mock him, that they they spit in his face? Here's the thing, it isn't just them who make a mockery of Jesus. Their mockery gives a picture of our sin's mockery of Jesus' claims to be Lord. See, our every act of sin mocks God's claim to authority. Our every sin is a declaration of our own authority. Our every sin mocks God. It sneers at his claim to be ruler over us. And yet, like a lamb to the slaughter, Jesus absorbs their mockery in order to make an end of sin. But it's not just mockery. Then in verse 34, we see also how we numb ourselves to our sin. But where we numb ourselves to our sin, Jesus didn't numb himself. It says in verse 34 that they gave him, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. See, he rejected the wine because the wine would have almost acted like a morphine. It was the closest thing they had to it in the ancient world. And when he drank it, it would have numbed him to the pain and the discomfort of bearing our sin. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't numb himself like we often do with our sin, but instead looks full into the pain and the misery of the effects of our sin. And he bears it for us. So often we numb ourselves to the pain and brokenness caused by our sin. Whether through self-medicating or endless busyness or entertainment. But Jesus didn't numb himself to the physical and psychological effects of sin. He bore it all. And the third aspect of our sin, finally we see where we usually blame shift and we Cast blame on others and never allow guilt to fall on us that Jesus took both our guilt and our shame. In verse 38, it says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Jesus is hung up like a common criminal. And he could have cried out and said, I'm innocent, how could you place me here? But instead, he takes our sin upon himself. Yet how often do we either blame others for our sin or minimize it, comparing ourselves to others or telling ourselves, at least I'm not like those people, knocking others down in order to lift ourselves up. Jesus, bearing our sin, took on the full shame, identifying with our sin as a criminal, In our place. See, the account of the cross was not recorded so we would read it and just feel sad for Jesus. The the cross is recorded so that we have it, so that we would see our need for Jesus. The cross gives us a picture of our sin. And until we see the bitterness of our sin, we cannot see the sweetness of the cross and the resurrection. But seeing our sin isn't enough to call today good. It would only be enough to call today a grief-filled Friday. To have a picture of our sin and to just look at it. And that's as far as it goes. We need a promise as well. So second, the cross gives us a promise. In verses 45 through 50, we come to the death of Jesus. If you look at verse 45... It says, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Why is there darkness? Have you ever wondered that when you've read the accounts of the cross? Why is there darkness? Why is there an earthquake? Why is there shaking? Why is, it, why is this happening? Well, I think what it is is it's helping us capture what's happening. As God takes our sin upon him, the creator of the heavens and the earth as the Father is turning his face away from the Son, as he's becoming forsaken, bearing our sin, it's almost as if it's capturing just a glimpse of something of what it's like when the Father and the Son, who created the entire cosmos, when that relationship, when he turns away, almost the strain in the Godhead is manifesting in creation as Jesus bears our shame And so the sky grows dark and the earth shakes, almost as if it's just tearing at the seams, almost coming apart. And in the midst of this, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you may wonder, what is... What is Jesus doing? Is, is Jesus suddenly, all of a sudden, realizing what's happening and, and, and questioning the Father? Is Did something go wrong with what's happening here? The crowd certainly thinks so. <laughs> in verse 47, they, they say he was calling out for, for Elijah. Is, maybe Jesus is saying, hey, bring, bring me a savior. Save me from what's going on here. But others in verse 49 say... Or verse 48, they say, Well, he's just delusional with pain, so just get him some wine. Give him some wine, and that will numb it, and, and perhaps we can save Jesus ourselves. We can save him from this torment, the poor guy. And then in verse 49, we see the rest of the crowds who say, No, wait. Let him cry out. He deserves it. Get the popcorn. Crucifixion was a public form of entertainment in the ancient world. And so as they see him in anguish, they say, let's see if anything happens. Let's see how this plays out. He deserves every bit of pain he's experiencing. Then in verse 50, the unthinkable. God who created the heavens and the earth breathes His last. The son of God breathes his last. He expires like a mere man. It seems he's gone for good. Or is he? I think when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was doing something. He wasn't just crying out, wondering what was going on, but he was, in fact, pointing somewhere to a promise. You see, the Psalms were known by their title, by their first line. That would have been their title. If in the ancient church they would have gathered for worship and they would have usually just sung from the Psalms, from the Old Testament, when they uh, got ready to sing a psalm, they would have said, uh, like today we would say, hey, turn to Psalm 22. They instead, they would have said, hey, turn to, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They were known by the first line in the psalm. And what Jesus is saying is understand what is happening right now through the promises that you find in that psalm. So listen to the words of Psalm 22 It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. It's beginning to sound like Jesus' predicament, isn't it? He says, but I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Sounds like both Isaiah 53 and verse 42. Many bowls encompass me. Strong bowls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, Jesus. in the incarnation became man and entered the dust. With us, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. And listen to this. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots straight out of, it sounds like, verse 35. But there's more. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred The affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. See, Jesus is crying out because he knows he will be heard when he is afflicted on behalf of God's people. And here's how it ends. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. Not from the crowds, not from the chief priest, not from the ruling elite, but from the congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. How? How? He says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. Even when they mock me. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. And here's how he ends. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. What will they proclaim through this psalm and what it's pointing to and the promise Jesus is pointing to that he has done it. That he has done it done it. Why is Jesus forsaken? Why does Jesus take our sin upon himself? Why does Jesus take our shame upon himself? So that it would be known that he has done it. Once and for all, death is finished. Sin is finished. He has done it. See, on the cross, Jesus not only bore our sin, but ended death once and for all time. That is the promise, that we deserve the cross, but Jesus would go to the cross in our place. And now our sin is no more because he has done it. And Matthew says, if we both see the picture of our sin and discern this promise, we are ready for the preview. So, a picture of our sin, a promise That's being fulfilled here on the cross. And then also it leads to a preview. Look at verse 51. It says, And behold, behold just literally means to look, look and see. Do you see what's happening? Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So what is happening here? Why are they talking about a temple curtain being torn? Well, until that time, the only access people had to God was by going to the temple in Jerusalem. And even then, you couldn't actually get to the presence of God. You couldn't get to what was called the inner holy of holies because there is this humongous curtain there. And what's happening here is the curtain, the moment Jesus dies, is torn. In other words, now, there's an open-door policy because now sin is done away with, there's no more need for any more sacrifices to come into the presence of God. Because of the cross, we are no longer outsiders, separated from God, hoping to offer up enough to cover for our failures, for our sin. Through Jesus, the ultimate, final, sufficient, forever sacrifice has been made on the cross. That's why the temple curtain protecting where God resided immediately ripped open, because now the door is open. It's a preview of the life that we can have with God in Christ. In Jesus, we now have full access to God. He has done it once and for all. See, the point of tonight isn't just to be sad. The point of tonight and Good Friday isn't just to pity Jesus, but to be like the centurion in verse 54 and to stand in awe of Jesus to be sober about our sin, and then to stand in awe of the way in which Jesus has completely done away with it. Jesus' death on the cross is not told as if a mere man did it and died. Jesus' death happened the way it did because he is God. Was Jesus a historical person who died in a historical way, a historical death? Yes. But how did he die and why? He died as only the Savior of the world could die. When the world screamed, come down, he was strung up. When they cried, save yourself, he died to save us. He has done it because he is God and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to come to the Father, the only way to know God is through him. But there's one more preview, one more aspect of this preview. Preview. Look at verses 52 and 53, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now that's an interesting detail, isn't it? Why does it include this detail about apparently all these people who were dead become undead or alive and they come out of the graves and they start proclaiming Jesus and what he's done? not only has our sin been done away with but a new life has opened up if sin is finished so is death and the dead rising is a preview of something that is coming on Sunday because as Augustine Augustine of Hippo a 4th century church father put it like this While Jesus endured death as a lamb, he devoured it as a lion. Friends, it is not enough that the curtain has been opened through the death of Jesus Christ. You have to be able to get up and walk through the door. And Sunday, in the resurrection, we will see how that is possible. We deserve the cross, but Jesus paid the cost. That is why we call today good. Because Jesus endured death as a lamb. And until Sunday, we await the lion. Surely, this is the Son of God. Lord, it is only because of you that we can call today good. Because when faced with our sin, we receive the fulfillment of a promise. In the face of our sin, we don't receive shame from you. We don't just receive condemnation. But a promise secured on the cross. So thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Spirit, fill us with awe and anticipation. For the lion is coming. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.